Revelation 12:11 And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Welcome to by the word of their testimony and here is your host Etienne McClintock. Greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for tuning in. It's lovely to have your company again today. I'm on location in Malaysia in a beautiful place near Tampin called Anon Healthcare. And at Anon Healthcare is a place where they help people with all kinds of maladies and, and illnesses. And my wife and myself have just come here for 10 days to get a little bit of R&R. Now that we're sort of halfway to a millennium, we decided to get a bit of a tune-up. <laughs> and we thoroughly enjoyed our time here. I've been very fortunate also while I've been here to meet some very special people. And one of those is Eugene Pruitt. Funny enough, I'm actually friends with Eugene on Facebook, although we've never met in person. I think part of about 5,000 people on your Facebook page. That's about right, Etienne. But thank you very much for being willing to share your testimony. It's a pleasure to have you on the program today. I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad to be able to share something. Great. Perhaps we can start just with uh, what you are doing in Malaysia, because I think when I caught up with you the first time I started hearing about you, you were in California uh, you were working for Amazing Facts at that time, I believe it was going back probably a few years now. I was helping Amazing Facts establish schools all around the world okay. that were training mission-minded young people, especially local missionaries, to work in their area. And the reason I came to Malaysia is because Malaysia is a stable country in the middle of Southeast Asia, where a very small portion of the population understand the gospel. Okay. Most people here are Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim, and uh, I thought this is just a great place for a hands-on training program for young people. Mm. Well, you've definitely picked a beautiful location. It is so peaceful here. Uh, you're in the jungle, basically, on the side of a hill. When you go for a walk in the morning, there's the monkeys uh, in the trees, and you have some beautiful birds. You understand about 160 different species of birds around the place. I love the birds and the monkeys. But understand that our students don't stay here except for classes. Okay. Even right now, my students are in the capital uh, selling books, Christian hmm. books door to door. We make sure they spend their time in the field meeting people. They come back here for R&R like you've come here for R&R. Okay. And uh, this is where they take their coursework and sleep when they're not out in the field. Fantastic. So uh, you facilitate, you are actually the, the dean of, uh, of the students, so to speak? Is yeah, you might call me a director. Okay. We aren't technically a school. We're a training program. Mm. So we don't have a dean. We have a director. And maybe that's a technicality, but sure. I'm trying to yes. deal with legal issues here in, in this country. We are training young people, and I am traveling quite often to find places for them to work. Like tomorrow I go to Cambodia. Mm. We have a Cambodian young man here who was a Buddhist two years ago. He's become a zealous believer. And I'm going to speak to someone tomorrow in Cambodia who is likely going to hire him when he completes his program 
and put him to work reaching the people of his own country. Right, okay, so there's a lot of countries in the vicinity that you also do some work with, and it sounds like you have students not only from Malaysia, but from all other parts of the world. Maybe not from all over the world, but <laughs> Southeast Asia. Yeah, Southeast Asia, yeah. yeah. We have them from, from but here. if someone's listening to the program, say, for example, because your classes are in English. Yes, that's right. If someone from Australia or New Zealand wanted to come and attend a program to get some training, is that possible? Oh, it is. And we've had students from the United States already, and we've had visitors from Australia. Hmm. Uh, it's not really possible to get a specialized visa for this training program. Okay. So if you come from Australia or New Zealand... You'll want to come prepared to enjoy Southeast Asia every 90 days, taking a break to go visit one of these other countries near here. For about $100 Australian dollars, you can get a round-trip ticket on AirAsia and go see Thailand or Vietnam or Laos okay. or Cambodia. But uh, as long as you're willing to travel every 90 days, you can study here as long as you needed to study. Oh, fantastic. That sounds very good. Well, perhaps we can now that we sort of establish what, you, what you're doing and your involvement here, Maybe we can go back right to the very beginning and perhaps look where you were born and family influences. Now, that could be good influence, bad influence, whatever sure. shaped your life as you as you progressed. So I was born into a very interesting family. My mother on her side was a seventh generation believer. Okay. You can go all the way back to the mid 1800s to my great, 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 great grandfather, Alvin Marsh, who was a bear trapper. You know, he'd trap the bear and uh, go shoot them and skin them and sell their pelts. Right. That was back when that wasn't considered evil. <laughs> okay. and, uh, and, but at the same time, he was a biblical scholar, a layman that knew his scripture. Mm. I've read one of the books that he had published when he was there in Michigan. And I think that he would feel so ashamed and embarrassed if he knew how his family over six generations had wandered from God. Mm. So my mother... She was kind of a bright spot in not the brightest of situations. She, as a young lady, wanted to be a missionary. She thought about going to the Middle East. She had a call to go to Beirut and Lebanon. But she was lonely, and she wasn't married, and so she didn't go. Mm. Uh, she was thinking about it when she took a call as a teacher in Washington State. Uh, and there in Washington, she met my dad. My dad had, was fresh out of prison. Uh, he, I won't go into all the business of his life, but uh, he wasn't the best influence on my mother. Okay. And when they got married, after just a few months of knowing each other, my mother was on the downhill slope in terms of her own values and goals in life. Mm. I remember when I was very young that she would have family worship with us. My dad wouldn't participate. Okay. And, um, but she gave up on that. And really, as I got older, the world was taking over my life through television and video games and friends. I was just, I was going the way that children go. Mm. And when I was about 10, God found a way to arrest me. Mm. Uh, at my church, a new believer would come straight out of the hippie movement. He came to the church, he joined the church, and he's one of those guys who, he still had his long hair and he played guitar. And you know this is back in the 80s, and in the 1980s, if you had long hair and played guitar, that was nearly the qualifications needed to be a youth director in a church. <laughs> and uh, so he was put in charge of the youth group in my church. Wow. Uh, I was in Alaska. My parents had moved to Alaska. Mm. That's where I grew up. I was born in Michigan. You asked about that, but I grew yes. up in Alaska. And uh, I just want to thank God for that man, Les Grahams, 
Less was a man who thought of the Bible as a powerful book. And in our, in our class in Sabbath school, he would talk about how, how when he would claim a promise, God would fulfill it. Mm. Prior to that, Etienne, I think religion for me had been more of a ritual than of a reality. Okay. And um, I found in that experience with less an idea that maybe I could have an interaction with God. Maybe the Bible was an amazing book. and that Maybe I shouldn't spend so much time on him, but I'll, you're talking about what was a pivot for me. Absolutely. We want to look at the positive and negative influences. So in your... Here was a pivot. It mm. was that Mr. Lass was single in Alaska, determined only to marry a believer because of what he saw in 1 Corinthians. Mm. And there weren't any believers available. Wow. Alaska is low on ladies. I don't know. I, I don't know if it is today, but it yeah. was when I was young. Ladies right. don't like the cold up there. It gets 45 below zero Celsius. If you're talking that about 45 freezing. below zero Celsius and Fahrenheit are the same. That's where they cross. That's where they cross. Yeah, okay. That's exactly it. And um, so he said he found a promise in Isaiah 34:16 that he was going to claim that promise that God would provide for him a spouse. Hmm. Well, I was going to watch because the only single Christian ladies I knew were 17 years old and 19 years old, and Les was in his mid-40s. Okay. And that wasn't, that wasn't going to happen. Mm. So there wasn't any option. But Les didn't even seem concerned. He didn't seem stressed. He had tested this Bible before. He knew that God would fulfill his promise. Yeah. That verse that I just quoted to you, it says, Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read, not one of these shall fail, none will want her mate. Now, you're Australian, so mate might mean friend there, but anyway, That's you right. understand. That Female or male, depending yeah, on what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, he claimed that promise. Well, to make the story short enough, one of the most spiritual ladies I'd ever met in Alaska was a babysitter that lived 40 minutes from my house, my dad would drop me off at her house when he went to work at the University of Alaska. He was an IT worker there. Mm -hmm. I mean, actually the head of a department there. And um, she was just a saint. She had been a good influence on me. Her husband was a gold miner by trade, and by hobbyist, he flew ultralight aircraft. And cool. one day, he was up about 70 meters in one of his aircraft, when a pin snapped, leading to a crash that killed him mm. and left one of the most spiritual ladies in Alaska as a widow. Mm. And just about three or four weeks after she was widowed, for the first time ever, she visited my church. Okay. And she sat with Les Graham. And they ended up getting married. And they ended up becoming the co-leaders of my little class there in that church. Yeah. And that was amazing. That is incredible. Yeah. So that put me on a journey. And I'll say that Les and Ruby, that was her name, Les and Ruby taught me that I should think about spiritual things, that David said, "Don't I won't put any evil thing before my face, mm. that it's dangerous that what we think about affects us so much. And they convinced me that I shouldn't really be watching television programming. 
Now, you should know that in my house, we had four televisions. I had my own. I had bought it with my own money at mm. age 11. By now, I'm age 11. Uh, remote controlled. So when I heard the, steer, the stairs creaking as someone came downstairs, I could switch to a good channel. Okay. And uh, so when they taught me that, that was very convicting. And I had the strong impression as an 11-year-old that I think many people would have a hard time to relate to. But I had an impression that I would have to choose between Jesus and my television. Mm. So just, just to uh, recap, you, you are a Christian, you go to church regularly, but television is playing a big part in your life all through those early years up to the age of 10 or so. Yeah, I'm a Christian in the broad sense of having Christian ideas, mm. but maybe just becoming a Christian in that narrow sense of being born again. Okay. This is that process of me really having a, a supernatural experience with the Lord Jesus. Mm. And part of it was this test he brought me to over this television. And when I chose to turn away from that influence in my life, that was the beginning of the opening of my experience as a Christian. Wow. I began to study my Bible. You know, this was in Alaska in the wintertime. And I was in North Pole, Alaska, which is not the North Pole. It's the name of a city. Okay. But I was there, and that means that in December, for example, the sun might come up about 11 in the morning and go down about 2 in the afternoon. Right. So you must be close to the Arctic Circle or in the Arctic Circle. About an hour south. An hour yeah, south. Yeah. Of okay. And uh, at the Arctic Circle, then it wouldn't even come up in the middle of December. Right. So there I was in the wintertime coming to this conviction of no television. And frankly, there isn't much to do. Mm. I began to read my Bible mm. an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening. I began to ask my mother if she had any ideas of verses I could memorize. And she would give me one that she remembered from when she was a child, and I would learn that. And after two or three, she thought this was going to waste a lot of her time trying to find new verses. So she said, Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Yes. That's about 100 verses. And, um, well, a few weeks later, I came back and quoted that to her. Wow. And uh, this was really an upturn in my spiritual But you're still very young. You're hardly a I'm, teenager. I'm becoming 12. You're becoming 12, yeah. My 12th birthday was a hard, a hard day mm. uh, because my family did not share my ideas about the television. And in fact, it put a little bit of distance between me and my parents for a while because our living room was the same open space as our dining room. There wasn't a partition between them. Okay. And when we would eat, I noticed that if the television was on, I would watch it even though I chose not to watch it. Mm. That is, my choice did not control my actions very well. Okay. So I told my parents I would no longer come to meals unless the television was turned off. Oh, you took a, quite a firm stand then. And they didn't like it. Mm. It's, not that they, it's not that they really despised my view of television, that seemed a bit arrogant for an 11-year-old. Mm. And uh, But anyway, I stuck to my guns, and the television went off during meals because my mom was worried about me losing weight. I never was overweight. Right. And uh, so, so my 12th birthday was a hard day for me. Mm. My relatives were all invited to a birthday party. My parents were accustomed to showing a movie when we'd have a lot of relatives over but they knew I wasn't watching television. It was kind of awkward. Okay. So they had the idea to take me down to the movie rental place and let me choose something that I thought was wholesome. Hmm. That was their idea. And that way we could all watch it together. Okay. 
Well, I went down and I chose what looked like a cartoon comedy. But it ended up being that the reason that it was a cartoon comedy on the cover is because they could not show on the cover the real content. Mm. It was a an adult comedy and in the first 30 seconds had frontal nudity. Mm. Now, mind you, when this was being played, all my relatives were there. My dad, who isn't even a Christian, but he has some moral standards, he's there and they all know I chose this. Right. And my dad got up and shut that television off. Bang! And uh, I was mortally embarrassed. You would, you would be, but it's a you know, mistake, obviously, a big mistake. Well, unexpected. It worked out because I never wanted to watch a movie again. So um, that is the short end of how I became like my great, 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 great grandfather on my mother's side. Right. Wow. So what happens at the, at the age of 11? So this is really where you would say your first experience where you had to make a decision. Personal commitment. Personal commitment and a surrender to the Lord and give up things that would separate you from Jesus. That's what I did. That's right. Mm. So your, your upbringing from there, you're still spending a lot of time in Scripture. You're still in Alaska. And, of course, wintertime, there's nothing to do. So you, you keep on taking advantage of that. How, were, how was your school experience uh, during this time? So from about... My mom, by the way, kept me out of school until I was eight. Okay. Uh, you, your listeners might want to do some research on the studies of a Mr. Dr. Raymond Moore, mm. who I think has shown quite convincingly through data that children who stay out until ages eight to ten, they have an easier time academically because that physical exercise they get while they're younger and their natural inquisitiveness prepares the brain better for academic learning. So my mom followed that advice, and it worked out for me. Wow. I began at age 8, but by age 11, I was up with my level. It skipped two grades already, and oh, was really? having a much easier time in school than they were having. Hmm. I was at a small Christian school. My dad couldn't see any sense in paying tuition at a private school. Hmm. But my mom, by the t- because of her past experience and what she was seeing in me as this was happening... She worked hard, and she paid herself to put me in that private school. Uh, Maybe some of your listeners have children that go to private schools, and I don't know how much to say, but my private school was good in some ways. There wasn't any drugs, and there wasn't any sex. But I wouldn't say that most of the young people were really spiritual-minded young people. Mm. And when I had this conversion experience and began to choose different entertainment and not to enjoy Michael Jackson any longer and not to talk about movies anymore, I began to be teased a lot. Right. And that teasing, it was never to the point of anyone beating me up, although someone said he would, but he didn't do it. But uh, it was like spit wads and throwing things and name calling. Hmm. And... You know, I was a baby Christian. I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was over mature for a 12 year old and I did not like it. Sure. And I eventually told my mom, I didn't want to go anymore. I wanted to homeschool. Mm. My mom didn't have 
she needed the money, she needed to work. So when she pulled me out of school, because frankly, I was strong-willed, I've always been a strong-willed child, and now I'm a strong-willed adult, uh, I, didn't, I refused to go to school. And my mom didn't have the wherewithal to make me, so mm. I was at home, and I began to study on my own. And uh, I don't think that'd work out for most young people, but it worked out for me. Okay. And uh, that eventually, one of my cousins went to a private school far away, 4,000 miles away in Oklahoma. It was called Oklahoma Academy. And because that was the only place where I knew anybody that that I cared that I cared to know, I asked my parents if they would send me there. My mother did send me, and so I attended a private high school for four years. I attended that private high school there in Oklahoma, and while I was there, for the first time away from home, that's when I began to think about what I was going to do with my life. You might be interested to know that from the time I was 12 to about 16, I intended to become a marine biologist. Okay. I studied encyclopedias. Mm. There was no Wikipedia back at that time. Okay. And I was, I could tell you about the various types of sea anemones and crustaceans and the various ways that starfish regenerate. You know, I was really digging into it. But somewhere around age 16, I had an idea that I can illustrate it. Imagine you're in war. You're in a foxhole. The enemy is lobbing grenades your direction, you and your buddies. And imagine that I tell you that I am a concert pianist. Mm. So if a grenade lands in our foxhole, it'd be a real shame if my life was lost because I have this amazing skill. And I'd like you guys to cover me with your bodies so that we don't lose this amazing skill. Right. I don't think that you would uh, oblige. In fact, you might just pick me up and throw me out of the hole. <laughs> because right. in a time of war, my concert pianist skills are not the most useful skills. No. A good throwing arm would be, would be more useful at that mm. point. And that illustration will help you see why I began to doubt that I wanted to be a marine biologist for my life. I began mm. to think that though I have lesser missionary skills than I have science skills, yet my little missionary skills are more useful than my larger science skills. Okay. And I began to search for a way to put my life into full-time service for the Creator. Mm. Well, that's a fair summary of my high school years, and I just want to thank God for find, finding a way to guide me during that time. Yeah, so that's interesting because the reason I asked about that, I also went to a, a Christian school. I started my first four years of schooling at a Christian school, and then I had two in high school as well. And as I look back, uh, I was part of the nominal Christian group. Now, we'd worship, we'd go to, we'd pray. Uh, we wouldn't pray by ourselves necessarily. Maybe you'll just say a short prayer before we jump into bed. But we loved the music, we liked the Michael Jackson music and everything else that went with it. And that's probably what absorbed a lot of our social time when we would talk backwards and forwards or we would talk about girls or whatever it was. But the, the one or two within the boys' dorm where I was uh, going to school that actually were more spiritual were more likely to get picked on than those who weren't. I typically didn't and some of the other guys didn't, but if someone drew attention it was because they were so different. They didn't talk about the same things we did. 
they had a spiritual dimension and they were, you know, prayerful. And you could see sometimes, you know, they'd be out in nature and they'd be praying or reading their Bible, which we as Christians didn't do. So that's the reason why I asked you the question. So thank you for elaborating on that a little bit. So you, you then decide that you're going to make a transition from micro-marine biology, biology mm-hmm. into now getting into the battle, so, so, so to speak, so spiritual warfare, and you want to get training in that area, fighting the battle for the Lord and winning souls for Jesus. That's right. And that little trouble I had earlier in life with teasing mm. helped me develop a, a thick skin an ability to handle some rejection and some some opposition that I think everyone who's going to do the work of God needs in life. Mm. So I don't regret that I had that experience. So you already had some training unbeknownst to you at the time That's to prepare exactly for the gospel it. work. And uh, there at high school, I took advantage of every mission opportunity that was made available, and uh, they all played a part in what I'm doing today. Mm. Praise the Lord for that. What we're going to do is we'll just take a short break, and then when we come back, we'll continue your story. So, dear listener, thank you for listening. Stay tuned. We'll be back after the short message. I like short stories. In the parable of the net, one of Jesus' shorter stories, he makes it clear that what will happen to the righteous will be different to what will happen to the wicked at his coming. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw away the bad. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew chapter 13. I want to be sure, however, that I am among those who are gathered into His kingdom at His coming. Welcome back to By the Word of Their Testimony. I'm on location in Malaysia, near Tampin, in the beautiful surroundings here at Anon Healthcare. And my special guest, and we are meeting in your lounge, as people will probably hear, it's not your typical studio sound, is Eugene Pruitt. And just before the break, Eugene was sharing his life journey up to about the age of 16, I think it was, and how he came to meet the Lord and the influences of some prominent people within his life regarding the power of God's Word and expecting God to deliver on whatever His promises are. And then, of course, just your experiences at school when you committed your life to the Lord, how your life did change. And because that makes you a little bit different, because your conversation is different, your mind dwells in different things, you sometimes do become a target. And how that actually, in a sense, prepared you for what you are doing now. So changing career, yeah, changing career, and now being a person that is dedicated to the Lord and wants to work for the Lord full time. So to close the gap between how you've ended up here at Anon doing what you're doing, and at that time your experience at the age of 16. Yeah, 28 years ago. Okay, so let me tell you something about that. When I was 17, one of those mission opportunities I was given at the high school was to sell Christian books door-to-door. I don't know if your listeners have ever tried that, but I'll tell you something about it. When the Bible says, pray without ceasing, you you learn when you're doing that door-to-door work. Okay. And when 
when Jesus talked about those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, mm. you experience that in that work. Mm. And when Paul says we walk not by sight but by faith, I, yes. you see that when you're doing the work. Okay, so that this text take on a new meaning when you go through the experience. When you're on the ground meeting people, that's mm. exactly right. And mm. I had with me some books. Uh, one of the books was called Steps to Christ. I think probably between the age of 17 and 25, I and the people I train might have distributed a quarter million copies of that book. Okay. And, uh, and I read it myself a few times. So in taking these books door to door, God was training me to learn to deal with rejection. Mm. You might have seen this idea in Matthew 10 where Jesus says that the servant is not above his master. Yes. The idea is that whatever... Satisfy, I should be satisfied to be treated the way Jesus was treated. Mm. Well, I, what I saw back then is that Jesus wasn't treated very well. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. People would hide from him, and they would think when they persecuted him, they were doing God's business. Right. That they thought that he was being smitten by God, that God was the one that was afflicting him. Mm. And what I understood is I should be satisfied with a similar experience. So when I was asked my senior year of high school, do I want to try that door-to-door -door sales work again as my campus job? That was an issue where all my feelings said no and all my conscience said yes. Mm. And when I chose to say yes, it was quite a, just like a, a flood of burden washing off me I felt a much greater freedom. It had been very scary for me to do that work, mm. the door-to-door -door work. Right. And it became an easier work for me that senior year. So as I was doing that work, and you know, there are lots of ways in the United States to in the United States to reach people, lots mm. of ways. So I'm gonna talk about one of them because it's the one I have experience with. I suppose God could have guided me through some other venue. Yes. But in that one, I noticed that many young people would do this door-to-door -door sale of Christian books while they were students. They would earn their money for school, but once they graduated from college or university or got married, they wouldn't do that work anymore. It was mm. like an interim thing. It was never a life work for them. Sure. And in my own life, I saw that I accomplished more for the gospel, the everlasting gospel, by one day of going door-to-door than by a week of about anything else I do in my life. Mm. And I thought, really, some people ought to be giving their life to this. Yes. When I put those ideas together, I've been, I didn't tell you, but I've been teaching high school now for four years already, of teaching in the science field. Okay. Uh, the way that worked is that I never took science in college. I only studied Bible in college. Mm. But I had done so well in science in high school that when the science teacher of the high school where I was working left mid-year, I, I slipped into that position and ended up taking over that job, and the students enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it. So I, I did end up teaching biology okay. and physics and chemistry and algebra, mm. and uh, even though none of those were the field I was choosing for my life. Mm. But I left that job at age 24, and uh, I went for the purpose to start a training school where young people at the tertiary level, that is after high school, 
where young people would study to do full-time work for God, study to learn how to teach the Bible to people, how to approach people, how to win souls, how to make decisions, how to do evangelism. I thought if we can have a college program where this is what they study, then maybe that's what they'll do. Yes. That was my idea. Hmm. I, before I started that little school, I remember I was sitting with a doctor up in Massachusetts. He invited me to eat breakfast with him and his family. And when I told him what I was going to do, he almost choked on his cold cereal because he was laughing. Because here I was, a man who had no significant degree in anything, talking about starting a tertiary educational institution. Mm. He just thought it was funny. Well, I'll tell you, Etienne, I'm so happy he laughed through his cereal <laughs> because it really motivated my, my strong will okay. to want to really make this happen. Mm. And I prayed and worked, and within a year, I had a group of about 20 young people and a collection of four other teachers. And God, it worked a miracle that probably is too many details for the minutes we have here in your program. Sure. But he worked a miracle to give me at no charge a three-story old farmhouse in beautiful condition that we could use for our little school. Great. And uh, I can tell you a bit about it because I want to. An old lady who had lived there her entire life was knew she was soon to die. Hmm. And during her last years, America built two freeways one that bordered the north end of her farm and one that bordered the west end of her farm. Mm. So her little farm in the middle of nowhere was now became prime industrial land because there was a railroad that went right beside it. Wow. So that access for shipping, so many companies wanted to buy her farm. They wanted to build a factory there and they offered her big money. Well, my church came to her and offered her a little money. Mm. She asked us a, a curious question. She said, what are you going to do with my house if I sell you the property? Well, all those big businesses told her, well, your house, uh, well, of course, uh, we would take it down and because uh, we're going to do something else here. Well, God gave wisdom to the representative that talked to her from my church. And he said, what would you like us to do with your house? She said, if you will preserve it, always preserve it in this shape, I'll sell it to you for the price you offered. Hmm. So my church built there a publishing house, the Review and Herald Publishing House, but they were under contract to keep this little three-story farmhouse always in good condition, though it had nothing to do with what they were doing. Yeah. And... I asked for it, and they gave it to me for this training school. That's 1996. Wow. So God made provision. So oh, Praise the Lord. So here I am, a, a teen, not a teenager, I'm, I'm 26 years old. Here I am, a 26-year-old man, starting a college program, haven't raised one dollar to do it, and God has just given me a campus, he's given me a cafeteria, he's given me staff, mm. and we funded this whole thing by the sales of the students. And it began to operate, this little training school. That worked. And now there are missionaries in many parts of the world, Cambodia, Laos, Thailand, Czech Republic, 
Germany, England, the Philippines, Ukraine, Botswana, South Africa, Australia. Hmm. There are missionaries in many parts of the world who are trained at that training program or trained under that training program that now have gone back to their fields to do what they can. In fact, one of the men who really joined one of our field schools there was Lyle Southwell, who you might know in and Australia. I Lyle very well. And uh, his son, Harley, is going to be come and join me here in Malaysia in December for about 10 days to help do a youth camp. Wow. So now yeah, that Harley investment brother. is paying back, and uh, it was just an amazing experience. Oh, I had. What a small world. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, Lyle is now a pastor uh, at, at Maitland Church in Australia. And uh, he has actually shared his testimony on By the Word of Their Testimony uh, just a few months ago. Also on another program with 3AB in Australia, where he is part of a panel that does a discussion on the Sabbath School study lesson. Okay. And I think he may even be hosting his, uh, his study, or he may have just hosted his first uh, lesson as the, as the host for the, for the panel discussion. Great. So your, your syllabus, the program that you take your students through, what does that entail? Because I, I assume that a strong component of that is literature evangelism, LE work going out and, and, and selling the books and sharing the gospel through the printed media? Well, so this is right. So the way it started back there in 96 is that I really have a burden for the Bible. I mm. told you at the very beginning of my Christian experience, the Bible was that key, powerful, uh, supernatural element in my life. Mm. So I wasn't about to train missionaries that don't really become uh, knowledgeable in Scripture. Mm. So we had their Christian history, a number of Bible topics, a class in Bible counseling, classes in creation science to help them meet the secular mind that was developing all over, uh, classes in writing and communication, classes in how to preach and principles about how to study. Uh, Really, every class was aimed at creating rounded workers One of our philosophies there, one of my philosophies that I got from writers in the 1900s is that a man is not well qualified for a position unless he's familiar with many ideas outside of that realm. In other words, a chemist should know how to grow a garden and a gardener should know his chemistry and a man that's in IT should know something about how to do maintenance in his own home. Hmm. And a plumber should know about the book of Revelation, that really education should be more rounded than it is. And many people come to what you might call a glass ceiling in responsibilities, not because they aren't experts in one field, but because they aren't well-rounded in many hmm. fields. So they specialize in one area, but don't really know too much about Their other specialty aspects. prevents them from rising higher. Hmm. So what I was aiming to do in this training program was to have a broad base of practical experiences that would focus on character. So that if I see a student who is very intelligent but slow, I and the other teachers are going to interact with him on, and I mean slow in terms of getting his work done, I don't mean slow mentally. Sure. We're going to interact with him to help him become diligent and efficient in his work. Hmm. And if we see there a man that is just gifted at fixing the cars outside, but he doesn't take a real interest in his academic pursuits. We're going to work with him to teach him the value and importance of adding some book learning to his practical skills. Mm. 
we're talking about an educational system that is a mentor system. And what we're doing right here in Malaysia is that same system today, 21 years later, where I don't hire a teacher here unless I know that they're well-rounded themselves. Okay. The, the men here and the women who are deaning or who are teaching classes are also personal evangelists. They make friends in the community. They work in our garden. They help with our banana orchard. I work in that garden. I help with the bananas. Okay. Uh, what I'm saying, what we're demonstrating to our students is that a broad-based approach is the best preparation. It's the best way to develop your mind. In fact, your brain works better when you get some physical labor into that that sedentary day. Mm. Well, you didn't ask me to moralize for you while I'm giving my testimony. No, but it's very interesting because, I mean, it, it's all about, you know, a well-rounded character and, and development of a number of aspects of our being, isn't it? So we did that mentoring program there. Mm. And while we were doing it, the Review and Herald was struggling financially. They didn't start struggling when we came and they didn't end struggling when we left. Mm. But they realized they couldn't afford to pay our salaries. So after three years, they gave us notice that though they loved our program, our salaries were going to end at the end of the school year. Well, well, I can't blame them. In fact, they went bankrupt a number of years after that. Okay. You know, the publishing work has had a hard time. The old publishing houses have had a hard time competing with the modern machines and cheap labor of Indonesia and sure. China. And uh, so it meant I had to find somewhere else to go. And that is when I talked to my alma mater from high school, that Oklahoma Academy. And I said, you know, I have a whole program, students and teachers, but we need a home. And mm -hmm. it turns out, I didn't even know it, Etienne, but they had built a large building to be an ambulatory care center. Older people that don't need, you know, 24-7 supervision. They built it for that, but the staff who they had planned to take over and run it. You need professional staff, licensed staff, to run that kind of facility. Mm. They had all backed out at the last moment after oh. they'd built the building. So now they had the building, but no staff. Mm. I had a program and no building. They let me move into that building and gave me a very reasonable rent for facilities sufficient for 30 students, four married student families, three staff, classroom, cafeteria, uh, all that I needed, mm. God provided it in good time. So that program just moved. Wow. We moved the whole school. So up. God provided the first home, the first place, and now That's the second right. one, as that is closing down, and one door is closing, another door open for you. And of course, if you're a pioneer worker like me, you have too many stories. I'll tell you another one if you don't sure. mind. Sure, yeah. So to get into that home, it's not like they just gave it to me. They had serious debts they had incurred in building it. And I needed about 30,000 US dollars to move in. Mm. Well, I had just about 30 US dollars. So I okay. needed, you know, I needed the a few more. zeros missing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I devised a plan. Um, I went to a number of organizations that I knew had been giving subsidy to promote mission work in their various regions. Mm. And they had been paying about $10,000 uh, subsidy to get maybe 20 young people working for three months. That's the kind of money they'd been giving. I went to three of them, excuse me, I went to four, I remember now. I went to four of them and said, listen, I'll give you the same, but I'll do it for 8,000. Mm. I was 
sort of being competitive with okay. some other people offering this kind of service. Yes. And all four of them bought into what I was doing. So that was $32,000 they were going to give. Mm. And I began traveling like a wild man, trying to recruit enough missionaries to fill these positions in Maryland and Maine and New Jersey and uh, West Virginia. That's where, that's where I was going to be working, those four okay. places. I did succeed in recruiting enough people on paper. That is, enough people signed up and I accepted them to, to meet my contracts. But when I got up to just about one week before the time when all these mission projects were to start simultaneously, three of them were to start, one was going to start later. Mm. When I got up to that time and began calling everyone to find their travel details, most of them backed out. Mm. So now... Here I was, contractually obligated to provide about 100 workers with about eight days to go, and I'm 50 shy. Like you're only halfway. And uh, I've been working on this for months. Yes. That was so stressful. That would be, especially and, with only about a week left. <laughs> and I needed this $30,000 to get started later. Yes. And uh, like 10 weeks from now, I needed it. And I prayed so earnestly. There really wasn't anything I could do. I just prayed. And Etienne, people came out of the woodwork. People began calling me. Mm. People I had never met or encountered just heard something. And we filled up all those programs. Uh, we, I operated them. They were successful. One of my drivers had an accident. And the insurance... Uh, because of some technicality, said they weren't going to pay. And it looked like I'd probably be sued for the medical bills for about $50,000. And uh, I'd operated this entire program as a personal business. So I didn't have any personal money to pay that suit. Sure, and you didn't have indemnity insurance either, I imagine. That's right. And I felt myself coming close to a nervous breakdown. Mm. Too much pressure. It was two weeks before time to move in to the new location yes. and threatened lawsuit. And I just, I told God, I can't bear this weight. Mm. If I try to bear it, it's going to crush me. So I'm just going to forget about it and just go. Mm. Just keep working. Oh, I don't cry on your, on your, <laughs> on your program here, sure. but... Uh, Obviously, a very I, difficult time in your life and a lot, a lot of pressure. I had a phone call that day after mm. I prayed from the company that sold me books, a company that had zero responsibility for what I was doing, Yeah. a company that was not in any technical way involved. All I was to them was a customer. Mm. But they heard about the threatened lawsuit. And they called to say that they were going to cover the accident with their insurance. Praise the Lord. Incredible. I've never heard of that happening anywhere else. No. It's, it's the strangest thing for a company that doesn't want to expand its liability to voluntarily expand it. Mm. For an insurance company to accept a claim that they're not obligated to pay. Yes. And... Uh, so I had the $30,000, and we moved in. Uh, yes, and you didn't have the 50000 claims. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hang up your head. So 
that was, that was God's way of putting under me enough support where nothing since then has seemed very intimidating. Right, so that was quite a pivotal uh, moment in your life because the Lord had led you through, your faith had been sustained, you had an experience, experimental faith, where you prayed God had provided in a number of areas, but this was quite a crisis in your experience at that time. You know, a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. Everything no way out, apart. everything's falling apart, and God came through for you within a matter of days. Within a day. Within a day of, of, of saying the, that of prayer, prayer. Of the prayer. Yeah. Well, praise the Lord. That just shows the power of prayer. So you were claiming promises in the scripture, but you were just saying, Lord, I, I, I give in, basically. But you, say, your surrender I, I, was to the Lord and saying, Lord, you've got to deal with this. I can't. I would say I was claiming the promises before I got to the extremity. Okay. When I got to the extremity, I just dropped it. It was the first Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Mm. It was just to say, I can't carry that. Yeah. I can't bear that. Uh, this weight is too much for me. At the time when you're going through the experience, because obviously First uh, Peter 5, 8 follows, the devil mm. like a roaring lion seeking to devour. Did you see mm -hmm. this as a warfare spiritually where the devil was trying to interrupt the, the work that the Lord was wanting to do through this program that you were putting together? I did. And I saw lots of evidence of strange things. Like even that, like that car that had the accident was insured. I had mm. proper insurance. And uh, that, when that insurance wouldn't cover, that itself was the strangest of situations. Yes. Uh, I had told them I was taking the car out of state from where I had rented it. Mm. It was in writing I told them that, and I purchased insurance for that. But they, they said they weren't going to honor it because it was out of state, mm. because it was being used for business. And when I had rented it, I had not told them what kind of business I was doing. As if you tell a rental agency what you're doing with the car. Sure. Anyway, yeah. so anyway, God took care. And when we moved there to Oklahoma, God gave me the highest class of students. I've seen this, Etienne, that, that when you follow a program that follows God's counsels, his model of education, he gives you a quality of student that matches what the work you're doing. Mm. That is, he has his children and he knows what kind of training they need. And when finally an institution opens up that matches what they need, they'll find it. Right. I didn't have to find them. They found it. Hmm. And uh, so eventually that school moved also, moved to Arkansas, where, where I wasn't paying. When I was in Oklahoma, I was paying about $5,500 a month for that facility. Okay. Uh, I eventually found a campus where I didn't have to pay. I was part of the school. So hmm. it was just part and parcel, and I was there for 10 years in Arkansas, training missionaries that went all over the world. But while I was there, I became more aware of the 1040 window. Okay. And the, the 1040 window, of course, I'd heard about it before, but I became more aware of how, of 3 billion people that live without little opportunity. I made a couple mistakes there. I had brought some persons from very poor countries to study at my mission school in the United States. Okay. And while they were there, I watched two of them lose their way in the secular money-making opportunities of a Western society. Hmm. I watched their spirituality just sink, and they left school and became business people. And I thought, if we're going to make opportunities for training missionaries in this part of the world, we're going to have to go there hmm. and train there. 
that's how I worked for Amazing Facts. I began helping them start schools all over, and eventually we came here. And here in Malaysia, I've been doing this now for two years, training Asian people to work in Asia, Australian people to work in Australia, people to work where they are so that they don't have those temptations that come from moving to a new culture and opportunities that you're not familiar with. Right, okay. So you've seen some talented people going through experiences, almost like Demas in the scriptures, you know, getting distracted and then sort of losing the way a little bit. I guess that must be quite challenging as a, as a teacher because you, know, you see the, the potential for these people. I mean, obviously, the reason you're doing it is for soul winning. It's not only the souls that will be won by these people, but also their own personal religious experience. To wander away from something that has eternal consequences, how do you deal with that? I mean, with you. It helps me that Jesus had Judas. Okay. It helps me to see that when I'm presenting beautiful light to a man, I'm not forcing him to go to heaven. Mm. I'm forcing him to make a decision. And if he makes a good decision, his chance of being useful goes up. If he makes a bad decision, the darkness in his life becomes darker. Okay. So I don't suppose that by teaching the truth that all my students are going to become workers for God. Mm. But I do suppose that all of them are going to be fundamentally affected and the ones that turn away from that bright light and responsibility, that their own lives will show the re what's happened because of that. Okay. Great. Thank you very much. for This is a good place for us just to stop, just to share our contact details. So, dear listener, stay tuned. We'll be coming back in the next few moments just to wrap up the interview. Thank you for joining us on By the Word of Their Testimony. If you would like more information about today's program, or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249733456 or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. Welcome back to By the Word of Their Testimony. I hope you got those contact details down. I am on location in Malaysia at... Anon Healthcare, and my special guest is Eugene Pruitt. And just before the uh, break, we were talking about your experiences and your experiences with some of your students. But I also noticed while I've been here that there's a strong component focusing on natural therapies and on health. So how did that incorporate? How do you incorporate that in your in your program? Uh, Anon has been operating in Malaysia long before I came here two years ago. It's been a program that particularly aims at the Chinese and the Buddhist society and some to other people. Mm. And they do that entirely by medical work. That, that is their field. I was invited to bring, to come here and organize a program training Bible teachers. Right. So we share teachers, we share experiences. My Bible teachers that are being trained, they help in the medical field so that they can do medical missionary work wherever they go. And the medical missionaries are taking our Bible classes mm. in Daniel, Revelation, Pauline Epistles, Biblical Counseling. So we're helping each other, these two programs, but they're oh. independent. Okay. The medical program lasts about a year. Our program is a three-year program. Okay, so it's the, the whole program, is that, that three years and the one year is incorporated, or is it two, so the four-year program? It's separate. If they take the one year, they might be able to do ours in two and a half, but they're okay. two separate programs. Right. Okay. Look, it's a fantastic place, and I could highly recommend it. if you feel a strong calling by the Lord to get involved in medical missionary work. You feel that you know you've got some experience that you could even sustain your own 
I mean, living, going out in the, in, in the you know, missionary field and being self-supporting, I think you were saying just earlier in some previous discussions, that self-supporting people tend to be more successful because people are less suspicious of their, of their motives when they come in and they do some work within the community and then also do some outreach through medical missionary work and then, of course, sharing the good news of salvation through Jesus. And that's right. People who invest in the business of the community are considered its benefactors. So that's okay. a good way in. Wonderful. Well, Eugene, thank you very much for sharing your testimony and also the work that you do and also your life journey. It's been very encouraging. It's been a real blessing to hear it. And I know that our listeners out there would have been blessed by it as well. So, dear listener, thank you for joining us today on By the Word of Their Testimony. We pray that God will continue to guide, lead, and draw you and bless you as you look to that day, is our prayer. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.